Well, I want to take you back again to the Scriptures in Ephesians 1. And our text today is verses 20 to 23. We read the whole section. Uh, we said how this is a prayer. We were looking at uh, parts of this in uh, the last time we were together. But just picking up with the thought there, uh, beginning uh, with the thought before verse 20 leading into it, the immeasurable greatness of his power that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. That's Ephesians 1, 20 to 23. This is our text for this morning as we look at the subject of Jesus and the spirits. I am really energized for this message. I will not be able to say everything that I want to say about angels and spirit beings, but I just want to remind you that angels are spirit beings. They are localized persons who have intellect, emotion, and will. They are not God, but they have powers that we do not have. They are invisible, and I certainly believe they're in this room as I speak. The Bible teaches that angels are real, and although we are not equipped to recognize them and detect them, we're going to see in this letter much about angels. Not just today, but the entire study of Ephesians and we're also going to show how the Apostle Paul had a polemic against evil spirit beings throughout his letters. And so, very important topic. I'm not sure if we really grasp the, the weight of it. Perhaps you've heard of the amazing account of Reverend and Mrs. John G. Patton, pioneer missionaries to the cannibals, in New Hebrides Islands, which is near Australia. John Patton was born May 24, 1824, and lived until going off to heaven on January 28, 1907. So I just wanted to give you a little background there. Patton told of an incident which illustrates the protective care of angels. Hostile natives surrounded their mission headquarters one night, intent on burning out the Pattons and killing them. And remember, these people were cannibals. And you understand what that means. John Patton and his wife prayed all during a terror-filled night that God would deliver them. And when daylight arrived, they were amazed to see their attackers unaccountably leave. A year later, the chief of the tribe was converted to Christ. And Patton, remembering what had happened, asked the chief what had kept him and his men that night from burning down their house and killing them. Well, the chief replied in surprise, Who were all those men that you had with you? The missionary replied, there were no men there. 
just my wife and me. The chief argued that he had seen many men standing guard, hundreds of big, strong men in shining garments with drawn swords in their hands. They appeared to circle the mission station so that the natives were afraid to attack. And only then did John Patton realize that God had sent his angels to protect them. That story is cited in Billy Graham's book entitled Angels. This incident reminds me of Elisha and his servants surrounded by the Syrian soldiers who were sent on a mission to capture Elisha, but God protected them with the chariots of fire. You can read about that in 2 Kings chapter 6. Angels are real. Demons are real. And I'm very excited to see what's going to happen during this sermon because in the past, I will just tell you, every time I preached on this subject, something unusual has happened. So let's all be ready. And I could tell you stories about the strange things that have happened whenever I've preached on spirit beings. So you better stay awake this time. The Apostle Paul took great interest in angels, both righteous and evil. And if you trace through his letters, just Paul's letters, you begin to see a pattern that he keeps referring to spirit beings again and again. I got my concordance out, and I just studied the, word, the English word angel, which in Hebrew is malak, and in Greek is angelos. And 275 times, just the word angel appears in the Bible in 34 of its books. But that word angel does not cover the subject. Because we're going to see there are a number of other terms that are used. Obviously, in addition to angels, there's the word demons. But um, we're going to see, as we do in this very passage, that there are ranks of angels and the terms that are used are found here, for instance, in Ephesians 1.21. It says, Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. Back at this time in rabbinic teaching, angels were classified according to ranks, using these terms and terms like them. And it appears that both Righteous angels and evil angels that we classify as demons. And I want to make that perfectly clear. Evil fallen angels are demons, and demons are evil fallen angels in Scripture. Not everybody gets that. Some people teach that there are human spirits that are floating around. There are not. You know, but there are a lot of teachings about spirit worlds and things like that even among believers, and you can imagine the false teaching among unbelievers. In addition to the terms used here in chapter 1, verse 21, you don't have to go very far into the next chapter, Ephesians 2, 2, where Paul refers to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Other references just in Ephesians include chapter 3, verse 10, Rulers and authorities, chapter 5, verse 11, the unfruitful works of darkness, chapter 6, verse 11, the schemes of the devil, chapter 6, verse 12, 
rulers, authorities, cosmic powers over this present darkness, spiritual forces of evil. That's just in Ephesians. And I'm not going to do it today, but at some point I'm going to go out on a limb and show you another word in the, in the Bible that refers to angels that you can't find through the study of English. And I'll just give you a clue. It's the word eon. So you just think about that. Finally, in chapter 6, verse 16, Paul warns against the flaming darts of the evil one. When you trace through the other letters of Paul, you find repeated references to demons using these terms and others. And so I want to say that Paul seemed to present a polemic against Satan and demons. Not just Ephesians 6, the very well-known passage about the armor of God, which, by the way, we need to memorize, learn, and apply on a daily basis. We should take that very seriously, the armor of God. He didn't write it just so you can just look at it when you look at Ephesians 6. It's something you should be thinking about. But Paul presented a polemic, a verbal attack against Satan and demons throughout his writings. And so we intend to prove that in our study of Ephesians. This should serve to warn us about the spirit world of angels and demons, that they are real, and that we have a responsibility, not only to put on the armor of God, but it should affect how we pray. Isn't prayer one of the key things in Ephesians 6? Remember, Paul said, it's not flesh and blood, it's not human beings that our real problem is, it's principalities and powers, it's authorities, dominions, and so on. He mentions uh, the uh, evil angels in those terms. But the good news today is that Jesus is superior to Satan and demons. And so the Apostle Paul declared three reasons why Jesus is superior to all spirit beings and why this is important. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. Here's my outline. The three reasons why Jesus is superior to all spirit beings and why this is important. Number one, Jesus is superior to all spirit beings because he is the risen God-man. Here in Ephesians 1.20. Secondly, Jesus is superior to all spirit beings because he outranks them all. Ephesians 1.21. And thirdly, Jesus is superior to all spirit beings because he has invested himself in the church body universal. That's you and me and all believers from the church age until Jesus comes again. And so let's dig into this. We're looking at Ephesians 1, picking up at verse 20, which is in the middle of a sentence. I misspoke last week, by the way. I, I watched the, uh, <laughs> the recording of my sermon. Boy, that's hard to do. Because then I pick up, I said that wrong. Oh, said that wrong. Uh, there, there's 169 words in this uh, prayer, not 65. As soon as I heard it, I thought, what? Anyway, you never know what you're saying when you're up front here sometimes. You don't realize it until after, you, uh, after your wife tells you. So um, here we go. First of all, Jesus is superior to all spirit beings because he is the risen God-man. That's a reason to worship today, isn't it? It's a reason to worship. 
Look with me again at the text, the, the middle of the verse. Speaking of God's great strength and power, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. The fact that Jesus is God, first of all, is immediate in this context of Ephesians 1. Here in this verse, it talks about Jesus being raised from the dead. We know, according to Romans 1, that's one of the marks of his deity. Uh, the fact that uh, the Son has proven his godhood by raising from the dead. But there's more to it than that. Back up for a moment to the very beginning of this letter in Ephesians 1.1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you get the point that he's writing about Jesus? And he just keeps mentioning him again and again and again in this chapter. If he doesn't say Jesus or Christ, he says him, referring back to him, abundantly through this entire chapter. And of course, again through his letters. So uh, repeatedly, the immediate context speaks to the fact that Jesus is God. Some of the grammatical um, constructions about God the Father and the Son connect them as equal, and the grammar connects it in a way that doesn't necessarily do it in English. So Jesus is named repeatedly as Christ Jesus and the Lord Jesus Christ. Just those titles alone proclaim him as God because Christos is Mashiach, in Hebrew, the anointed one, the king, who's proven to be God as he's presented. The word Lord, Kyrios, has uh, come to be equated with God in the Jewish mind. And so by calling him Messiah, Lord, it's the, the anointed God, who, whose father is God the Father. God the Father is referred to as the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, Again, inferring the deity of Jesus and his equality with the Father. Now, think about this. No spirit being can claim equality with their creator God. Jesus is, in fact, the creator God who is in perfect harmony with the Father. And so we see the fact that Jesus is God, but we also see the fact that Jesus is the human man. And we must not miss that. He's not only God, but he's the God-man. He's the God-man, capital G-O-D, dash, capital M-A-N. That's who Jesus is. He's the God-man. And by the way, he can never go back. Once the incarnation took place, he could never go back and cease being human. He will be human for eternity future. And again, I can't get past that amazing thought. One of the proofs of it is found there in chapter 1, verse 7, because it says, in him we have redemption in his what? Blood. And to have blood, you have to be, in this context, you have to be man. You can't be just a spirit God. And so this is only possible for both God and man in one person to achieve, to provide redemption and to do it in his blood. Only God can redeem us. No spirit being can shed blood on the behalf of another. And so we're seeing here that Jesus is superior to all spirit beings because he's the risen God-man. That leads us to the fact that Jesus rose again. And again, he says here in verse 20, speaking of God's great power, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. 
Uh, going back to Romans, I can't help this. wasn't planning on turning there, but it keeps coming to my mind, so I want to read the opening uh, verses of Romans. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power, according to the Spirit of holiness. How? By his resurrection from the dead. Next month, we will be focusing, of course, on the resurrection. But the resurrection is the message of every Lord's Day, every day of our lives. Jesus is the God-man who is superior because he has risen from the dead. We could never allow that truth to lose its meaning. And so speaking of God's immeasurable greatness of his power in verse 19, in verse 20, he worked in Christ this power to raise Jesus from the dead. Do you realize the supernatural power that was required for Jesus to conquer death and come back alive? You can't do it on your own. Do you realize that? And there is no other person in the universe who can reverse death except God himself. Only God can reverse the horrors of death and deliver us from hell. And so Jesus is superior to all spirit beings. Now you might say, well, Pastor, you know, we, we kind of know that. Um, we don't even spend a lot of time thinking about spirit beings, really. I mean, growing up as, as I have in Baptist churches my whole life and pastoring these years, uh, you know, I tend to think about Jesus and the Father and the Holy Spirit and pray to them and recognizing that angels are in the Bible and things like that. But, but do you realize in the time when Paul wrote this that angels were huge in people's minds? Now, they didn't, now Jewish people did not worship angels. At least they would never admit that. But they at, in some way kind of venerated them. Some people looked at them as the go-between between between God and and them. Um, Obviously, their appearance is hard to detect. And when you look at the time period between the end of the Old Testament, uh, by the way, what's the last book of the Old Testament? Malachi. Malachi. My angel. That's what his name means. My messenger. Simply means messenger. But there hadn't been a malak for some 400 years. No word from God, no, at least nothing recorded that God said. There was no scriptures recorded to verify such things. But in their minds, angels, you know, there were groups and pockets of Jewish people that actually worshipped angels. Anybody remember Acts chapter 12? I'm really, here I go, Doug, I'm on a, on a rabbit trail. I'm getting off my notes. Oh, I've got to get back. But Acts chapter 12. What happened in Acts 12? Peter was in prison. They were praying for him. You've got to love that story. And, and what happens? An angel comes and gets him out. And then he comes to the prayer meeting place, and a young lady by the name of Rhoda opens the door, looks at him, closes the door, <laughs> goes back and tells the prayer meeting, Peter's at his door. 
And one of the people who are praying, oh, Lord, please help Peter, please help him, get him out of there, please help him. And she says, Peter's at the door. They say, no, he's not. That's his angel. You just wish that he was there. Now let's get back to prayer. I mean, I mean, he's there. The prayer got answered. I mean, that's a crazy thing. You know, read about it. Acts chapter 12. That's all free today. It wasn't even in my notes. But, but uh, you know, the angels were big in their minds. They were huge in their minds. And that's why Paul keeps coming back and saying, our God, our Jesus, he's the God-man. He rose from the dead. And he's greater than all the angels, all the powers, all the authorities, the dominion. The archangels, everyone, he is greater. There's so much I want to say about angels. I've got notes that I didn't even bring with me. I was tracing through all this stuff through Scripture this week. Jesus' superiority over death is further seen in his ascension and exaltation. And now he's seated at the right hand of the Father in heavenly places. Right now, Jesus is in the place of honor. According to John 14, he's preparing a place for us. And the fact that he's seated at the Father's right hand shows that he holds the place of highest honor in the entire universe. No spirit being can be compared to that. Okay, so do you see how Paul is trying to show us that Jesus is superior? He's superior by resurrection power. He's superior by ascension power. He's at the right hand of God the Father. He is God himself. He's the creator. You can't compare any spirit being to him. And remember, too, he's human. He's the God-man. That leads us to a second reason why Paul wants to show us the superiority of Jesus over spirit beings. Jesus is superior to all spirit beings because he outranks them all. Now here we have the beginning of what I'm going to call a polemic, this detailed argument that Paul's going to trace through his letters against evil angels and demons. And if you start reading Paul's letters that way, you're going to start seeing it come up in places that you didn't even recognize. And if you study the word eon, you're going to find something else amazing. Jesus is superior to all spirit beings because he outranks them all. Here, notice what he says. And I think a lot of times we just read this and it goes one ear and out the other. He's far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. And we're done with it. We're like, yeah, we know that. We know Jesus is the greatest. What else do we need to say? Well, Paul wants us to know that he's seriously above these powerful, invisible forces that we do not pay enough attention to. He goes on to say in verse 21, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, oh, that's an interesting word, it's the word eon, but also in the one to come. Here they're referred to as far above all rule, authority, power, and dominion. Those, even in rabbinic teaching, were ranks. Rule is the word archase. It speaks of the beginning, the first cause, a ruling power. Um, you get the word arch, archangel from that arche word. The word authority, exousius. It's a word that speaks of authority, the right to choose it speaks of liberty, it speaks of ruling power. And you're going to see these words overlap in their meaning. They're kind of like synonyms. Although rule does 
give you a priority type thought. Authority, power is the word from dunamis, dunameos. It's, I hate to say the word dynamite because it doesn't really connect with that, but it's the idea of power and strength. It's a word that's used for miracles often. It's a supernatural word. Then the word dominion has the word <coughs> kurios in it, the word for Lord. It's kuriatetos, and it's angelic power and authority. Now, why do I spill all that stuff out for you? Because these terms speak of the ranks of angels. They are organized. Satan has his army. They're not just a bunch of vagabond uh, fallen angels that are flitting around doing whatever they want. They're on assignment. Read Daniel chapter 10, and you find out that Satan has assigned a high-ranking demon to every world ruler. That means our president gets one. I don't want to go anywhere with that, other than we need to pray for our president and pray for our elected officials, whether we agree with them or not. Read Daniel 10. It's an it's amazing passage about the spiritual battle that's going on. God sent a messenger to Daniel, and he didn't get there for 21 days because there was a spiritual conflict. A demon stopped the messenger from sending the message. Isn't that interesting? It's fascinating to me. I want you to be fascinated too. Scripture repeatedly recognizes the organization of angels. For instance, there's only one archangel named in Scripture. Who is it? Michael, the archangel, Jude 9. Michael's also called one of the chief princes in Daniel 10.13. There's an evil angel, which we would call a demon, referred to as the prince of the kingdom of Persia in Daniel 10.13, who opposed an unnamed righteous angel who also spoke with Daniel. Here in Ephesians 1.21, we have ruling angels. Jesus taught that there are guardian angels assigned to children, Matthew 18.10. The writer of Hebrews calls angels ministering spirits, and that's because they're spirit beings. And so that means they have spirit bodies. They're not just floating around ethereal, you know, like a vapor and got different... No, they have spirit bodies. And sometimes they materialize and look like humans. And didn't the writer of Hebrews say in Hebrews 13, be nice to strangers? Why? Because you might need, meet an angel unawares. What are the possibilities that you have met an angel? It is highly possible, and you didn't know it. We don't take this seriously enough. Furthermore, the scripture speaks of the seraphim. That's a Hebrew word that simply means burning ones because of their brightness. There were righteous angels pictured in Isaiah's vision in Isaiah 6, 1 through 3. And then there's the more famous cherubim, which is Hebrew plural for cherub. Cherub is singular, cherubim is plural. Seraph is singular, seraphim is plural. It's a masculine plural ending there. The cherubs were on the, um, the mercy seat, right? Of the Ark of the Covenant. Cherubs, cherubim in Hebrew. There were cherubs guarding the Garden of Eden once God pushed out Adam and Eve, and he assigned cherubs to keep and guard his holiness. And so you got all these terms, 
And we're not even done. We're not even close to what we could say about angels. Paul calls righteous angels elect angels in 1 Timothy 5.21. And again, I'm going to stop on all that, but I, I want you to see how important this subject is. Demons known as evil or fallen angels also are aligned in ranks, and it's quite positive in Ephesians 6.12. He's only speaking of evil angels there. Some might say, well, here in Ephesians 1.21, are these evil angels or are they righteous angels? It could apply to either one because they're both in ranks and those terms are used of both. But remember, Paul's polemic is against Satan and demons that he has defeated them. I can't wait till we get to Ephesians 4. I wanted to just jump there today, but I won't. But, or, or the passage we were studying on the Zoom meeting in 1 Peter 3 about Jesus preaching to the spirits in prison. There's a lot of interesting things in the Bible about this subject. All spirit beings are subject to Christ because he is their creator. When were angels created? In Job 38, verses 6 and 7, they're called the sons of men. And God said to Job, were you there when I laid the foundations? And the stars, the sons of men, the stars of heaven looked on. So God created them sometime, but I don't know when. Job 38, 7, 6 and 7 makes it interesting. Angels were created in holiness, but some chose to fall from their position of authority, according to Jude 6. Angels were created with intellect, 1 Peter 1, 12, emotion, Luke 2, 13, and will, Jude 6. Angels are, are persons. Did you know that? They're persons. They have personhood. They have bodies. Paul talked about celestial bodies in 1 Corinthians 15 as opposed to terrestrial, human, earthly bodies. They're localized persons who move about with power. Interesting. Remember at the Incarnation, Jesus humbled himself and temporarily took a place lower than angels concerning the use of his supernatural powers. So angels ministered to Jesus. Do you realize how many times angels ministered to Jesus? Angel Gabriel predicted his birth. An angel announced his birth. An angel protected the baby Jesus, according to Matthew 2. Angels strengthened Jesus at his temptation in Matthew 4. Angels were prepared to defend Jesus when he was standing in trial in Matthew 26. An angel appeared to Jesus in Gethsemane to strengthen him as he was approaching the cross. An angel rolled away the stone from the tomb of Jesus, Matthew 28, and that same angel announced the resurrection. Angels are important. You see that? Not only that, at his ascension, Jesus resumed his full use of his powers of deity, but he retained his humanity, and meanwhile he sent angels to minister. Again, the writer of Hebrews, doesn't he say, are not angels ministers to us? They are. I mentioned Acts 12. They may be involved in the answers to prayer. Angels observe the experiences of believers. I believe there's angels in this room participating in our worship. 1 Corinthians 4.9 and 1 Timothy 5.21 speak of the fact that angels are looking and watching what we do. Angels may provide encouragement in times of danger. Remember Paul on the ship before the shipwreck and everything? An angel appeared to him and told him it's going to be okay. 
Angels care for the righteous at death, according to Jesus' teaching in Luke 16, 22 and Jude 9. Angels are involved in carrying us to heaven when we die. Isn't that awesome? Okay, what have we said? Number one, Jesus is superior to all spirit beings because he is the risen God-man. Number two, Jesus is superior to all spirit beings because he outranks them all, and they are presently serving him. And that leads to this third thought, that Jesus is superior to all spirit beings because he has invested himself in the church body universal. What does that mean? He has done what spirit beings cannot do. Jesus has made you his body and he's the head. He's put us together in a living organism of which he is vitally connected to. He's the head. What happens if you lose your head? It ruins your whole day. You know? If you forget it at home, you know, that would be bad. Jesus is our head. We are his body. We are connected to him in a way that spirit beings are not. Notice what it says in verse 22. Go back to Ephesians 1. Verse 22, And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. God the Father has exalted Jesus as conqueror over all spiritual opposition. Jesus has defeated all the spirit powers of the world, and Paul is going to go out of his way to make sure that you know that in his letters. And although we've touched on the nature of angels compared to the person of Jesus, just a couple of other little details. Angels are created spirit beings. Compare that to Jesus. He's the creator. Angels are without the power to reproduce, yet Jesus is the one who gives conception. Angels do not die. Did you know that? Luke 20, verse 36. They live into eternity as spirit beings. Angels are distinct from human beings, according to Psalm 8, verses 4 and 5. They have great power, 2 Peter 2, 11, but their power is limited by God, Job 1.12. God the Father has caused everyone and everything to submit to Jesus. And Ephesians 1.22 says, He put all things under his feet. God the Father has made Jesus the head of the church, and you are part of that. Does that cause you to worship today? You are part of the body of Christ. He is connected to you and you to Him. That means you will live forever and ever and ever. And physical death has no power over you. It's been defeated. Physical death is just that door to step through to be with Christ. And we're not to be afraid of it. God the Father has made Jesus the head of the church. And so Jesus is vitally connected to the body of the redeemed. That's all born-again believers, all the called-out ones. The church universal speaks of all believers, those who have gone ahead of us and those who are yet to be born.
God the Father has made the church to be filled. Get this, get this last statement. Do you, do you understand this? Which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Paul has ways of saying things that I stop and think, the fullness of him who fills all in all. The fullness of what and who and what did he fill up? And you have to stop and, and kind of ponder this. Jesus fills his body with the exact number of redeemed ones that he has chosen. And then Jesus fills believers with everything that we need to live forever and ever with him. He's the one who is the fullness of him, the perfection of him, who gives us, he fills us with everything that we need. So what have we said? I've got to quit. We said that Jesus is superior to all spirit beings because he's the risen God-man. Are you convinced? Is he superior? He's the God-man? Secondly, Jesus is superior to all spirit beings because he outranks them all. Of course he does. He created them. And thirdly, Jesus is superior to all spirit beings because he has invested himself not in spirit beings, but in you. We were the children of Adam, but now we're the children of Christ. He loves us, he loves you, and he saved us, and he's made us part of himself. I've got some take-home lessons for you. I always want to make sure that when we're done, that you think one more time with me, what did he actually say? He was excited, but what did he say? This passage of Ephesians warns us that the spirit world of angels and demons is real and that we have the responsibility to put on the whole armor of God. That means you must do that today. That means if you don't know what Ephesians 6, 10 through 18 is about, you, you need to do your homework. Not only that, another take-home lesson is we need to regularly remind one another that although demons are dangerous, Jesus is superior to them. God, the Holy Spirit, who is the comforter sent by Jesus, will protect us. And that's good news. There's so much more I'd like to say about this, but it does speak to us how we acknowledge the spirit world and what kind of things we get involved in. I could tell you stories about members of my church getting involved in Wicca and having to get them out of it. You know? So many things I'd like to say today. Since the spirit world is real, we need to invest ourselves into the body of Christ by edifying and serving one another. That should be our response. If this sermon is real, if Jesus is exalted, if he is above all the rule and authority and power and dominion, and if he really does love us, and if he really is our head, then we should be serving one another. And finally, in our worship, we should be proclaiming, like Jesus, or like Paul did, that Jesus, our Savior, is our all and all. Amen? Is that true for you, is that true for you today? Before we have our time of communion, let's bow for a brief word of prayer, and then we're going to go right into communion, okay? Let's pray. Father in heaven, I want to pause right now and just want to acknowledge your greatness as the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. 
And we address our prayer to you, Lord, but we come in the name of Jesus and in the power of the Spirit. And we exalt the name of Jesus because he is our head, he is our Savior. And as we approach your table in just a moment, may we do it with a joy and a reverence and an anticipation and expectation that you are going to rule and reign in our hearts and help us in our walk and that our walk with you would be real that we would recognize you really are there and you really do love us and you really do care and you really do hear our prayers and so meet with us now we pray in jesus name amen